This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited this evening to once again be joined by Jeff Abercrombie, Jeff, welcome back. You joined me last week on the first in-season podcast. It is good to have you back tonight as well. Yeah, um, I'm also excited too because this is the first time I actually get to be on with not you, Paul, but also Matt. So, Matt, how are you doing? Oh, man, Jeff, this is like like getting back into that comfy chair in your house and realizing why did I ever get up. So this is just like that feeling tonight. And I'm really excited, boys, to just kind of break it down, start getting into – Really, this season, last season was chaotic, a lot going on, family, things like that, all good stuff, you know, thank God. Um, but uh, I'm just excited to be back on the show, be back in the fold, watching football, watching Derek Carr basically target Darren Waller all <laughs> night long. It's like a bad Madden episode, right? Like you're playing a Madden video game right now, and there's that one dude you're playing against that's throwing it to the rocked up receiver that can make ridiculous catch after ridiculous catch. This is a broken remote day. You're going to throw the remote after a while after this. And Matt, it's been a while since you've been on air with me, so it is great to have you back. I, I know I talked a lot throughout the summer and, and the uh, you, you know even at, right after the NFL draft last year as well about what the work you've been doing over at the YouTube channel. Follow it at Saturday to Sunday over there at YouTube. This is the first time. Do you, anything that you kind of just want to – any thoughts and, and comments about, you know, in general what you're going to be doing over there? I know you're hoping to, to keep some stuff going there throughout the season. I know you mm-hmm. did a lot of work on players right after the NFL draft, a lot of the guys who, had, who were in the 2021 draft. So any, any quick comments about the, the YouTube channel? Because I know I talked about it throughout the summer, but this is the first time really you have an opportunity to kind of, you know, tell the audience a little bit about what the goal of what you want to be doing over there at, at the SS uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, I know. I think the SS you know, YouTube channel is, is a little bit more of a, a long-form discussion of player analysis. You know, We're kind of taking what we do on the show here and just kind of unraveling it in a little bit more of a greater amount of detail. Um, the goal is to really kind of introduce everybody to this kind of, you know, problem solver paradigm that we've been kind of heralding for the last three years. And, you know, it's it's really began to crystallize in terms of what it is and and how it works. And I, I think there's some really unique perspectives. I don't I don't I don't want to claim and I don't think anybody should ever claim they have answers per se. But I think that at least there will be questions, hopefully, that are presented to everybody that maybe you didn't think about and maybe points of view that may be interesting. I think. Any of the videos, I've tried to make them worth your while, whether you're watching it now um, or you're watching it three years from now, because it's not necessarily about the player. It's about the frame of mind and thought process behind how we were watching the player, which I think really deviates from the popular way to look at players. And, I, you know, I'm really excited. I intend to keep doing it. One of my next projects uh, on the docket, for those of you that are interested, is Jamar Chase. I thought this was supposed to be, he's not supposed to be doing this right now. He's broken. (laughs) He was broken. And I think that maybe what we might be able to do if we can ever get, you know, game pass up and running the right way, um, go into the preseason, look at some of those evolutions and see how he evolved, how his skill has developed throughout the preseason and see maybe what contributed to that first game breakout or surprise as many had, had kind of 
framed it. I, I don't think it's a surprise. I think Jeff and I were, we were talking significantly about this on the telephone. Um, it, it, we didn't think it was a surprise. We thought it was just kind of a little bit of a, of an acclimation period, right, Jeff? I mean, I, I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth. No, I mean, it was a really insightful conversation. Um, obviously, we were talking about it in the lens of, you know, a player and trying to figure out um, a skill and a transition. And, you know, I think you heard a little bit of Jamar talk about it, even just, you know, you and I talk about, you know, the the environment around a player and, and adjusting to all of the different circumstances that go into what makes skill. And, you know, you hear Jamar talk about stripes on the ball. And I mean, I think people laugh at that, but, you know, there's, there's some insight to that. And, you know, one of the other things that people were, this is, he was going through the off season of practice after, you know, two years off the game, right? This is practice and he's working through things. It's like everybody freaked out when Mahomes was throwing interceptions and then he goes and lights the world on fire when he's finally starting for a full year. So, you know, I think we have to, take things in the appropriate context in which we see them. And so in that case, you know, what, what better context than to um, see him show up in a game with his quarterback on the bright lights and deliver a win for, for the Bengals. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, I'm Robert. sorry. You know, no, I was going to say, yeah. And that, and just going with that, Paul, I mean, that's kind of where we're going. Um, you know, that Jamar chase is ideally what I would like to be the next little kind of, uh, you know, unraveling skill episode. And then from there, really, it's going to go in a lot of different directions from players currently in college to players in the NFL, uh, sophomores, what sophomores took a leap because we can use the film previously to kind of inform us of how they've developed up till this year. So I'm excited about the prospects of it and that synergy between our show here, the podcast, as well as that YouTube kind of channel that we're kind of cultivating there. I'm really excited about the possibilities and and really where we can go. I think I really think it's the tip of the iceberg for really a brand new kind of dawn on Saturday to Sunday. Maybe maybe a new day of the week we add to it, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday of <laughs> something. You know, I mean, like it, I'm really excited where it could go. Yeah, and I mean, and I'll just kind of echo one statement is that you know I know over the summer Jeff and I you know took on the task of doing the overall dynasty ranks, and and Jeff's been you know now a active member of the the notebooks and and doing his really detailed overall dynasty rankings and obviously doing the pod here with us as well. You know, so I do think we are branching out a little bit to covering a little bit more of the NFL. And I think the YouTube channel gives us a platform where we can talk more in depth about a college prospect, but we could also continue our checking in on that Saturday to Sunday part in terms of not only just how a rookie's developing, but maybe how a sophomore is developing, or maybe a third-year breakout who didn't get much of an opportunity in year one or year two. You know, guys that we talked about it and were high on, and then they finally get an opportunity and, and they make the most of it. That is another platform for us to kind of share our thoughts on a guy who's making that transition. And maybe, you know, going back to the chase thing one second, we live in a world of we want instant gratification, right? Everyone makes an, an initial take immediate. And we were made, people were making hot takes on Jamar Chase from what did he play? Maybe 20 plays in the preseason. Like, I don't even know if he was on the field for 20 snaps. And then he came out and had that comment about the ball is harder to see or something. And I think people were really running with that. And, and I know I have him on probably 80% of my best ball teams. I drafted him wherever I could because I just wasn't buying it. He's just too skilled. We talk about skill all the time here. He was too skilled. We'll talk more about him later in the NFL Rookie Report. But I'm excited to watch your unraveling skill uh, when you put it out of him because he's a guy who 
we haven't seen many wide receiver prospects since we've been doing Saturday to Sunday that offer the full package as Jamar Chase. And it's kind of, you know, I think it's a little bit enlightening that even though it was preseason and even though he's an elite level prospect, guys are still going to develop. Guys are still going to hit obstacles and challenges. We're not, no, not everybody's going to be Justin Jefferson and catch for 15 or 60, whatever insane, you know, yardage total and season they had last year or Odell Beckham's rookie year or Randy Moss, there's going to be ups and downs. Uh, and, and just early on in Chase's career, counting those preseason games and, you know, and then watch him hit the ground running was great to see. So, Let's transition this over to the college game. Week two of the college football season is in the books. It was a very Matt and I were talking off air today. It was it's a very it was a very quiet week because it, it felt like most of the heavy hitters in college football scheduled a little bit of a week two cupcake game, whether it was, you know, and at a conference, a lower level opponent game. And there's really not much to gather when, you know, when a team is playing a team that they're going to win 70 to nothing, like Oklahoma won this past week or Georgia won like 50 to something. And and there were a lot of games like that this week. And you really can't garner anything, right? We're trying to garner how a guy we think could translate from Saturdays to Sundays in terms of their NFL draft potential. And, I guarantee you NFL scouts are not watching these games when they are going up against opponents that are so inferior to them that it's 70 to nothing and their guys are sitting out. There's just not a lot to gather from that game. So there's a couple things I want to hit here in the NFL draft report. Uh, Let's start the quarterback position. I had two names I kind of wanted to bring up and see if, if, if you guys had any thoughts you wanted to share. And the first one is... Uh, Kaden Slovis at a USC week one, he had a pretty good week. I think this is a guy that, you know, when he beat out JT Daniels a couple years ago, there was a lot of attention in the Devi community on Slovis. And then last year he kind of took a step back. And then I think people still wanted to believe. And then week one, he played a pretty good game this past week, 27 to 42, you know, 223 yards did not look good. I mean, USC fired their coach right before we came on air tonight. So, you know, that now is a monster job that's that's up for grabs that, will, you know, Matt and I were having whole conversations about coaching gigs earlier today, too. And USC is one of those preeminent jobs. So, you know, I know I saw Michael Lombardi on, on Twitter say that he believes it's better than two thirds of the jobs in the NFL. I don't know if I believe that, but I do believe it's one of the premier college football jobs. Uh, it kind of self-recruits itself. It's out, you know, on the West Coast, you know, beautiful, you know, campus, state, everything. So Slovis, I think, is taken con- continually been inconsistent now for a year and, and, and two games. So he's a guy, I think, a talking point. And then Brock Purdy, who last year at this time was very regarded in the Devi community, in the college football community, as a guy who maybe could be a day two pick last year. He doesn't declare last year. And now this year he comes back and this game he gets benched after going 13 of 27 for 138 yards. I don't know what the plan is there at Iowa State if if he's going to come back and be the starter moving forward. But those are two guys that I think over the last two years we've really seen stock go up and down like a roller coaster with those two. Because once upon a time I think people were thinking Slovis was on his way to round one. They were thinking Brock Purdy was on his way to day two. And now, you know, here we are. If we fast forward to April of 2022, 
I'm not really sure what to make of these guys. Are they, are, you know, right now, I think most people would look at them and think Dave Faree, especially for Purdy, definitely. And Slovis, I think there's a little bit more of a wait and see approach. So any, any thoughts on that, Jeff, let me go over to you first. Any, anything about Slovis or, or Purdy uh, that you want to bring up? Just that, I, I mean, I think with week one, I was really impressed with Slovis, but just on his overall profile, this is a little bit more, you know, what I expect to see. And and I think we'll probably see him settle into potentially a top 100 pick, um, but more of the day two style, late day two style. That, that's my thought um, with where this is going, but um he still has a lot of opportunity to change that narrative and change that stock. Um, I just think similar to Kellen Mond last year, you know, certainly there will be flashes. There will be signs that you see um, make you want and think that he'll become more. And if he does happen to tune in and harness that, then great. Um, but I think you're probably like with the ups and downs of the roller coaster, you know, to me, that's just like there's some inconsistent nature where they're not putting it together on a consistent enough basis to go ahead and be one of the top um, flight quarterbacks of the class. Yeah, and, I, and I'm kind of feel that same way when I watch him play. I think to myself, he's going to settle in somewhere. Now, listen, Kyle Trask went on on day two, so and he's a different style player. I think Slovis is more of that game manager type player. I don't think he's got a lot of, you know, high end physical tools. So maybe think about a couple think about, I don't know how many years now, five, six years ago, Cody Kessler coming out, like a guy like that, you know, Colt McCoy way back when, you know, who's been a long time NFL backup and has made himself plenty of money as, as a backup quarterback in the NFL. You know, I kind of think that's maybe where, this is going for Slovis. And I, and I think that, you know, he's still got time to improve and maybe Drake London kind of carries him along for the ride because Drake London is just a physical beast, you know, but I think the, where his peak was before last year started when people thought this guy might've been on the trajectory for round one, I just, I don't see the physical traits. And as we've seen in, in, in the NFL right now, teams want those physical traits, Right. You know, whether it's the ability to make a throw on the move like Zach Wilson, whether it's to have the legs to to make a play like, you know, or throw on the move like Trey Lance or, or Justin Fields, you know, the total package, you know, in Trevor Lawrence. And as Jeff, me and you talked about last week, the Mac Jones thing is was a was a specific thing that had that that built up, right? It was Alabama. It was a guy that from all reports has unbelievable intangibles who showed growth, you know, so there, there was a lot of things that led to Mac Jones who doesn't have those elite physical traits. Isn't a guy who throws on the move to, to make him around one guy. I'm just not sure there's a room for a lot of those guys to materialize on a, on a year in and year basis. I still think it's going to be the guys with the high end talent. So I don't think there's a lot more to talk about on Slovis or Purdy right now. I think the quarterbacks was kind of a quiet week against Sam Howell played again, but again, UNC had a cupcake game. I don't think there's much to read into that. Same thing with Spencer Rattler. You know, I'd rather hold takes on those guys until we kind of see them in, in, in more of a real life environment in terms of a real game environment where they actually have a little pressure on them so why don't we take this to the running back group and 
I think the the, the player of the week that we kind of got to talk about is C.J. Verdell out of Oregon. Obviously, Oregon-Ohio State was the game of the week. Verdell is a guy who, again, I think has been talked about in the community for a while. And I watched him two summers ago because, I, you know, I thought he was going to declare last year, and then he didn't declare last year. And then I watched him again this summer. And I, I think he's a good player. I think he's a good running back. I think he's one of those master of none, but but pretty solid across the board. And I think he runs more physical and has the ability to absorb contact and deliver contact a little bit more than you might think for a guy his size. He runs tough. And and I think he's a solid receiver. But I think it's he's a guy now that's, you know, that's finished out his collegiate career. And I, I see more of a day three style guy. Now we're not standing. I mean, this week he was absolutely fantastic. 161 yards, two touchdowns, three catches, 34 yards and a touchdown. I don't see him being able to push his way into like the top 100 mix because people usually want younger on the running backs. You don't see a lot of seniors really go too high at the running back position too often, you know, unless they're high end talents that chose to go back to school, you know, like we saw a couple of those guys last year, obviously, but, but any thoughts, Matt, I'll kick it over to you first on Verdell on either what you saw this week or just in general thoughts on him, the player together. Yeah, no, I mean, my exposures to him and a a lot of these players given the, the past year or so, is uh is really more of an introductory period as I'm kind of you know kind of weaving my way back into this, and you know my my first instincts when I was watching him was you know to your point I, I see a player who who really flourishes in contact right I mean you know when he's kind of diagnosing or kind of coupling his movements to a play you could kind of see that you know he sees the opportunity of the closed door as an open door. And that's just kind of how he plays. And, and that's part of just who he is as a player. And, and my concern with a player like that is, is that not that it won't work in the NFL. We've seen plenty of guys that can. Um, but I don't see, I don't see enough versatility in kind of his problem solving toolbox, so to speak, that really says to me, next level player, a player who's going to be adaptable under all conditions and constraints. You know, it's just not like you were saying earlier about the quarterback position. You know, we try, we sometimes relegate these players and reduce these players down to physical traits, but there is some merit within that because the, you know, the problems they can solve on the field are very related to the physical capacities that they bring to the problems themselves. So when I look at a guy like Verdell, I, I just don't see this, this athletic kind of elite, you know, mover on the field. I, I see a very competent, very good player that could be a backup running back on a team that can keep you on schedule. That'll keep your offense going. Um, but I, I don't see a guy who's necessarily going to be, you know, that top end change the mindset or demeanor of an offense when he comes to your team. Jeff, any, any thoughts on Verdell before I bring up a couple other running backs? No, just to, he strikes me a little bit as fundamentally sound similar to what Matt was talking about though. That's, that's somebody that will have a spot on an NFL roster. So I do think he will probably, I I mean, especially if he continues building his resume like this, be able to make it through, get drafted, maybe round five, maybe round six, make it to that, you know, roster push on the third or fourth on the depth chart and just come in and contribute and, you know, do that Malcolm Brown, Carlos Hyde kind of thing and just come in, you know, get the first down, spell another running back and, 
you know, maybe carve out a career and maybe he gets an opportunity down the line. You know, that's kind of what it takes in, in the NFL. But, um, but I do think, you know, Matt's picked up on, you know, just the, the diversity of his toolbox limits him limits the ceiling that he can, that I think he can be become as a player, unless we see some, some amazing, just nuanced feel for the game. Yeah, and I w- I'll say this about his game. Like, if people like comparisons to guys that more recently came out, and not not stylistically exactly player for player, but what I think the, the league will think about it. Like, if you look at a guy like C.J. Rudell, to me, he fits into the mold of where we saw guys like Larry Roundtree go this year to the Chargers on day three, Jared Patterson go to Washington, uh, uh, Jamar Jefferson go to uh, – Detroit. To me, Verdell is kind of in that world. Khalil Herbert to Chicago. I kind of, I kind of think Verdell maybe his skill set is 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 slightly better than some of those guys. But I think that's kind of the world that CJ Verdell lives in. So all of those guys I just mentioned were were day three guys, anywhere from like round four to round six. I kind of think that's where Verdell is ticketed. Uh, unless we see something very different between now and next April. But he's a guy, obviously, a a performance like that against Ohio State is going to obviously raise eyebrows and and need to be talked about because we don't usually see guys have that big of a game on the ground against a team like Ohio State. So let's turn this over to some of the other top running backs in the country. Because, again, there wasn't a lot to talk about this week. So – I kind of want to open it up and I'll bring up all three and then you guys can kind of pick and choose what you want. You don't have to talk about each one of them. We talked about Bryce, uh, Brees Hall last week. Once again, still kind of not getting it going for what you would expect from theoret- uh, from considered the top running back or one of the top two running backs in college football. I think a lot of it's the, the line play. We talked about Brock Purdy being benched before, but 16 carries, 69 yards and a touchdown. You know, I think – Fans of Hall probably expect a little bit more than that. But again, there's a lot of moving pieces to get the ground game going. And I think that's where Hall is suffering a little bit. Uh, can, he chipped in a little bit in the passing game. Isaiah Spiller is an interesting one to talk about because Texas A&M barely survived the 10-7 victory in a game that they should have won you know, by much more than that. And he only had eight carries for 20 yards, which really stood out. He saved his day with six catches for 56 yards and a touchdown, which I think shows his versatility, even for a bigger back, that he can catch the football. But but it, it seems like, you know, they're really spreading it out there. And he's another guy who he's got the prototype to be a physical carry-to-workload type guy. And I think NFL teams are going to look at him like that. And the versatility of being able to pass catcher, I think, is good. But I think what we're starting to see is when I watch – Isaiah Spiller and I watch Brees Hall and I like their games. I don't see a scenario where I like either one of their games more than like how I like Najee Harris last year. So I think these guys are good running backs, very good prospects. I could see that one sneaking in late round one, but I could also see both of them going on day two, right? We saw a couple of years ago, Clyde Edwards Hilaire snuck into round one, but we had Jonathan Taylor day two. We had J.K. Dobbins day two. You know, we had that whole group there that went on round two that night back then. And I can see Hall and Spiller pushing down into early round two 
rather than round one based on just how we know the NFL views the position now. And I don't think their skill set is as talented as Najee Harris, as much as I do like their games. So those two guys, and then Kyron Williams, and listen, this week was against Toledo, you know, last week, Florida state, he didn't, you know, he was very uh, sluggish in that game too, 14 for 42 this week against Toledo, 78 yards and a touchdown. But any thoughts on Kyron Williams and just maybe him as a pro level prospect from just what you've maybe seen in Notre Dame games or any thoughts on Spiller and Hall in terms of, is there upside in your guys' opinion on a level of Najee Harris, Jonathan Taylor, or maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a step below what we've seen over the last couple of years from some of the top running back prospects. So Matt, why don't I kick it over to you? And then, and then Jeff, you follow it up from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you talk about those two players in particular, you know, being in Devi leagues, being in these leagues where you're constantly watching these players, I, I mean, listen, Brees Hall is a rather, is one of the more complete running backs in the country. I mean, you can't you can't dispute that. He's definitely got some of the best hands. He's had him since high school. He's looked great catching the football. Um, he went to a program that literally leaned on him since freshman year, and he's done nothing but produce. So, I mean, from a from a from a pressure production ecosystem standpoint, I mean, the guy basically had you know the weight of that university on his shoulders from an early period, so to speak. And he's and he's done a great job producing. So I, I'm still confident that Brees Hall finds his way and rounds out in form. I, I think he's probably the best back in this class, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think Isaiah Spiller, for example, I, I like Isaiah Spiller. I really do. Um, my concern is, and I know this will probably you know buck the trend. I mean, listen, I think he's a very large human being, and he moves very well. Um, however. You know, I still think there's another gear left in and another level of refinement in his skill that can still exist. He looks a little off balance at times making cuts at speed. He doesn't necessarily seem to appraise the situation in front of him from the first to the second to the third level as quickly as I would necessarily think for a player that's regarded to the level that he is. I like Brees Hall a little bit more. I think he's seeing a little bit past that first level to the second level, feeling out that third level, so to speak, and, and a little bit more accurately than a player like Spiller. So I, I don't think Spiller is bad. I'm just saying is I still think there's a level of refinement to his game that I think there has yet to be kind of emerge as we kind of grow. So maybe at the next level, you know, he kind of finds his way. Um, he reminds me, and there's not... I'm not going to say this because they remind me of the game that they play, but he reminds me in terms of raw physical potential as Miles Sanders. That's where I put them. You know, Miles Sanders coming out of Penn State was all tools, not a ton of refinement, amazing splash plays, some plays that you scratched your head. Isaiah Spiller, I feel very similar about, you know, some amazing physical tools, some great plays, and then a couple where you're like, huh. I don't know. You're a pretty big dude. I, I would think we're, we're climbing up the guard on that one. We're, we're feeling the first down and, and we're trying to keep the chains moving. I, I'm not sure why you got caught there. So, I mean, that's kind of where I sit on those guys. And, and the player that I just want to throw into the mix for Jeff to think and consider is only because <laughs> only because we've had a friend of the show we've had on here quite often um, over at the summer seminar series. Um, but Stephen Carr, Stephen Carr over at IU. Um, Indiana is doing a, a lot of, you know, great things 
uh, in terms of their physical preparation and really turning player development on its head by adapting many of the problem solver paradigms that we talk about here as a way of training their players. I know that's an intricate part of what they're doing. Um, you know, we had Cam Joss on here over at the summer seminar series several times. Cam's working there uh, with um, the physical training department. And, you know, he's one of the instrumental figures there that's bringing this type of thought process to the fit to the players at IU. And I'm just going to tell you right now, don't be shocked if they unlock a second gear in Steven Carr. Steven Carr disappeared for a long time. He just had 22 carries for over 100 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there as something to just monitor. So that I'll just leave it there. Jeff, I'm sorry to sorry to take so much time there, my man. No, actually, I'm glad you did because you saved me from talking a bunch. I, I really couldn't agree more with your assessment there. I'll add a little bit of flavor to Brees Hall. Um, Paul, we talked a little bit about his, you know, finding room, stru- struggling to find room um, and not having as dynamic of a stat line as you would have expected for one of the top running backs. We're echoing the same thing against a actually a very tough Iowa defense. And so when I did actually get a chance to, you know, watch a condensed quick version of that game, it's something that I really, I noticed. And I mentioned last week that those are the interesting games for me because a lot of times you see the very dynamic stat lines, the problems that a running back has to face uh, are not as complex with a lot of moving pieces up front. They've got a clear lane and their, their problem that they're solving is simple. They're making a single second level defender who's out of place miss a miss a tackle, right? And, and maybe look into the third level to, to break an angle. Whereas I think it's, one of the harder things a running back has to be able to do is understand the moving pieces, the leverage of blocks, where things are going to open up, where like the timing of the holes and the creases. And I think Brees Hall did a very, very good job of that. Um, I didn't see his week one, but this last week's game against Iowa, I thought he did a, a great job, especially considering just how much uh, the Iowa state uh, offense is struggling right now. Um, we talked about Brock Purdy. So with carrying the team on his shoulders, I know he they didn't result in a win, but his play is, I think, at a very high level. Yeah, I mean, and, and Hall's a guy that he's going to have to deal with that all year, right? I don't think the Iowa State football team is a very strong team. And, you know, we've seen guys in, in college that sometimes just play behind poor offensive lines. And when he gets a game, you know, he's going to have those games where he goes for 220. They're going to come. It's right. It's just going to, it's going to come when, when the level of opponent maybe is a little bit less and their offensive line could hold up, or maybe he just happens to, you know, find the crease and, and off to the races he goes. But I, but I do think that I have a little bit more, while he's still number two on my list, I do have a little bit more reservations with Isaiah Spiller. And I, I think it just kind of shows you that this class there's some question marks, right? I, I don't think there's a lot of question marks about Brees Hall. I, I like Isaiah Spiller, but I don't think he's as good as we've seen sometimes from the top running backs in, in the class. Like I like, you know, just going from last year, you know, I know he's, you know, out the season now, but like Najee Harris and Travis Ethian to me, like Travis Ethian was right on the heels of Najee Harris. I like not, I put Najee Harris, you know, ahead, but, but I thought Ethian was very good as well. 
you know, to me, Isaiah Spiller, I think is going to check more in by the time this is all said and done, much more like Javante Williams in terms of the NFL's eyes, I think, than maybe, you know, what they were thinking of in terms of Najee Harris and, and, and those guys. And so I still think he could be a second round pick. I just thought, I think after that, even there's a lot of question marks. I, I mentioned Kyron Williams before, and I don't know how high the NFL is going to be on him. And, and I know Matt and I have been big fans here about, of Jerry and Ely for, for quite some time, you know, and he's kind of that modern day, you know, NFL running back now, but is that sleeping, a Paul, everybody's sleeping, but, but, sleeping but, 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 but even if they're sleeping on him, like it, does the NFL view a guy like him as a top 50 pick anymore? I'm not sure, right? The NFL no. is so, you know, we're, we're watching right now as we're recording this Monday Night Football and, like, you know, next man up, Tyson Williams, fourth on the depth chart when it started, and, like, he can get the job done. And, and you know, we're going to talk about him later. Elijah Mitchell for the 49ers, sixth-round pick, you know, from a small-level program. Like, you know, Gets an opportunity yesterday, and apparently he outplayed Trey Sermon in preseason and training camp. That was news to everybody. And 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 look at the job that he did yesterday. And I know they were a far better team than the 49ers, but I think we're just seeing that running backs can come from anywhere in the college game. And I, I think more and more they're looking for just role players. And I think that's why a guy like Jerry Neely will be highly regarded because he does bring that pass game ability and that unique skill set. But probably more is a little bit later, right? Later in round two or round three. It's, I just feel like that's the way the, the way it is. And unless you're a true foundational back, round one is really going to be hard to come by, right? If the Chiefs can go back in time, would they get rid would they redo the Clyde Edwards layer pick? Probably. With the with the with the uh you know obviously the Seahawks would redo the Rashad Penny pick the Patriots would redo the Sony Michelle pick you know so I feel like the the list is long of teams right he'll never admit it but would the Giants redo the Saquon Barkley pick yeah they would they're eight and twenty four in his thirty two games so as we were talking about Brees Hall everything's kind of got to be picture perfect for a running back to really take advantage of his skill set. And there's probably not any other position on the football field more dependent upon your teammates than the running back position. So it's a great debate. We can go down a rabbit hole with running backs, but let's, let's spin this over to wide receiver. And Matt, I really want to hone in on you because Jeff and I talked a lot about these two guys last week. So there's not much really to talk about from, from Jeff and I's perspective, but I can bring up Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave every single week of the show between now and the day of the NFL draft. I don't see a scenario where they're not both first-round picks. Olave this week, 12 catches, 150, uh, 125 yards. Garrett Wilson, 8 catches, 117 yards. You were the first person out of anybody I know in, in, in the Debbie community that was talking up Garrett Wilson as a high-level, high-level player. And he has lived up to the building. I've called him Calvin Ridley 2.0. Chris Olave came back to school, and he's on the trajectory of looking like he made himself a, a, a good decision like Devonta Smith last year. I questioned Devonta Smith going back to school and he actually helped his draft stock. I think Chris Olave might be on the way to doing that too. I think last year Olave probably goes in the 20 to 40 range and now can he push his way into the teens? I think it's possible. So Matt, any thoughts on Garrett Wilson and Olave before we quickly touch upon tight end before we hit it over to the Debbie slant? So I think with Garrett Wilson, I kind of go back to a lot of the things that made him, you know, such an impressive prospect coming out of high school. I mean, 
his strengths were kind of really apparent. I mean, he had that balance, flexibility, hands, body control, his releases versus off coverage and overall play speed really just stood out as a player who is really well attuned to the time and space that he was afforded as a player at the wide receiver position. He understood how to use the space to his advantage. You know, when you look at him in, in terms of being in a straight line, you know, I mean, going back to what he did in, in high school, I mean, he ran a four six one forty, which people cringe at. I'm sure he'll be faster than that. You don't grow up and get weaker. Um, so he'll, I'm sure he'll improve in those areas, fret not. But overall, I think what it was about him was that I think that he's just a player who understands how to manipulate players in the open field. He understands how to conceal his intention and kind of use that to his advantage to find you know, openings in coverage, regardless of what it is, man, zone. He understands how to do that, and he's able to adapt to a variety of situations, which truly is what makes him, you know, a skillful player in my mind. So when it comes to looking at a player, looking at him problem-solve, I, I really think he always finds a solution that's compatible to whatever's around him, the information, the opportunity, the sidelines, down and distance, you name it, wherever he is on the field. He understands how to take advantage of all that. And from an execution standpoint, that's really where you see that 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 element that I think makes him the top wide receiver prospect in this class. Um, I, I When it comes to Olave, you know, I, I'm kind of right there with you, Paul. And I'm not really entirely sure, you know, there is a better secondary wide receiver, you know, in this class. I mean, Olave is right there. I mean, Olave is right there. And you know, I think this goes back to, and I don't mean to draw this out and go down this rabbit hole, but it, I think it goes back to the running back discussion you talked about. I, I think we're trading in the elite running back for the elite wide receiver in terms of how we're looking to distribute and get yards in the NFL. We don't care anymore about position, right? We've been talking about this for years. Since this podcast has started, we've been talking about positionless positions. We've been mentioning that for years, that eventually they're going to see the light. Everybody's going to start just seeing it as a space game. And we're going to not no longer talk about, you know, pay players at X or Z or flanker or whatever. We'll use those as placeholders, but they won't necessarily have meaning to the degree that they might've meant, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And I, and I think that's where we're going um, with the running back position. And I think with the wide receiver position though, I do think that there is a kind of prototype that's beginning to kind of emerge. People want the very, very incredible route runners as they always have wanted them. And they're looking for players that can create yards after the catch. Basically they're looking for, you know, they're looking for like Marvin Harrison's everywhere. You know, they're looking for that style of player. You know, it doesn't have to be physically dominant. You get it great. But when you look at Garrett Wilson and Olave, they're not physically dominant players, but they can separate, they can find space they're solid after the catch. To me, that's where, you know, that's been football for years, but now they're exploiting that. And they're looking that if we can get the ball in a playmaker's hands, we kind of double our, our opportunity to score. We not only utilize our own skills, but we're going to take advantage of all their skills in the open field as ball carriers. And I think that's what coaches are starting to do. They're starting to kind of release the reins a little bit, a little bit here and there. And you're seeing that in the NFL. Well, the good coaches are, and the good yes. teams are. The successful the, ones. The, the, the teams that know how to put people in space and create opportunities for their playmakers, they're the teams that are having success at the next level. And 
we won't go down the other the rabbit hole of in our backyard the lack of doing that but you look around the league and you look at the Sean McAvey offense and, and you look at Shanahan's offense and you know and you look at some Andy Reid's offense mm-hmm. and, and others and these coaches know how to create schemes and put players in space to take advantage of their skill sets and those are the teams that are being most successful in terms of moving the chains and maximizing the skill sets of players on their rosters and and picking up chunk plays because they are learning that it's a little bit positionless football in terms of you know, you, there's not only one way to win anymore. There's lots of ways to win, but it's really all about creating and stressing a defense by putting your best playmakers in an opportunity to, you know, make a big play. You know, not not to not to cut you off, but just to add one thing. I think the better coaches are be, beginning to realize it's co-creating. We're going to co-create the offense, and not you're not going to create my offense. My vision is to win a game, but we're going to co-create the offense to do that. And I think that's what you're alluding to is the adaptability of those coaches, like you said, to exploit the resources that they have. Yeah. And let's round out the NFL draft report here. And I'll I'll just I'll kind of wrap up tight ends here and then we'll move right on. Uh, Jalen Weidemeyer regarded as probably the top tight end in the country. Four catches, 66 yards off to a slow start. But I think he's still hands down the top guy. But the guy I really wanted to make quick note of here is uh, Jalil Billingsley out of Alabama right now he's in he's in Nick Saban's doghouse like he's not playing like he's not playing there was like a I think it was week one there was like a thing where he was talking to him on the sidelines and you know Saban was a little bit animated so this is a guy with all the skill set in the world and I loved him on limited film that was out there and I thought he could have literally pushed to be a guy who was taken in the top 50 picks and now it's like when are we going to see him at some point Alabama is going to take advantage of his skill set because I think you know they haven't needed him yet but right now he's just kind of been MIA uh and just to reiterate last week Grant Calcaterra another touchdown so I'm going to talk about him every time he scores a touchdown because it's just great to have him back playing football again and I hope he pushes his way into the day two mix because that was the trajectory he was on a couple years ago so Let's take this over to the Debbie Slant report. I didn't have a lot of guys here either. So, Matt, I really want to hit this right up to you because Jeff and I talked about C.J. Stroud last week. Jeff and I talked about Michael Mayer last week. And at this point now, Mayer this past week, seven catches, 81 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, is the conversation with Arik Gilbert and his status as just unknown right now? Should should Mayer be considered the, the number one tight end in, in, in Devi right now? And then C.J. Stroud, you know, I know the numbers were gaudy, 484, three touchdowns and an interception. You know, but Ohio State, you know, they got players on top of players on top of players, right? So, you know, do we think that, you know, he's a guy that could be a, a, a high-level type player and then – We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, we talked about Olave. We talked about Garrett Wilson. You know, the other standout this week in terms of Ohio State was Joseph Smith and Najigba, I think his name is. The underclassman receiver, seven catches, 145 yards, and two touchdowns. Ohio State is becoming a wide receiver factory similar to Alabama. So, so Matt, kind of maybe quick hitter through them. Mm-hmm. Should Mayer be number one in terms of Devi? Thoughts on C.J. Stroud and then... Is Smith Najigba a high-level guy that we'll be talking about him in the light of a Garrett Wilson and, you know, Chris Olave down the line? Yeah, so, I mean, let's just start out. Let's start out with – let's start out with um, 
Michael Mayer. I think Michael Mayer by far should be considered the tight end one in Debbie right now because Arik Gilbert, like you already alluded to, Paul, is up in the air. We're just not exactly sure what's going on in terms of his positional change. I- I'm not going to lie. I mean, I had a very clear goal to get in every Devi, uh, in every respective Debbie team that I have. My goal was to scoop up Arik, Dil- Arik Gilbert and to go out and get Michael Mayer. That was my goal. Um, I believe that they are two really, really strong tight end prospects. But Arik Gilbert, there's obviously more going on than we know about. Um, so that, to me, puts Michael Mayer as the clear, clear, clear number one. And his production, if we had to get into an analytical discussion, his production at his respective position um, already is eclipsing the norm of his kind of quote-unquote age-adjusted range barometer. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into that, but you get my drift. We're already talking about a guy who's performing and producing at a very precocious level, so for sure. Um, next guy, go to CJ Stroud. I think everybody's got to pump the brakes in terms of concerns right now. I think we're only talking about the second game. Um, now, I do understand he's already had a full year of college experience, um, but Stroud is a, is a player that I think is – is really right there. I mean, I know it doesn't look like he's right there with Bryce Young, but coming into this, he was. And Bryce Young, I know he's lighting the world on fire, you know, in terms of what he's doing over at Alabama. But Stroud is is Stroud is a great, um, is a really great uh, QB prospect. I, I, I'm I'm going to give him a little bit more latitude and see how things are going. And to to talk about you know Jackson uh, Najiba. Um, he's really been a player that's been out there on the radar early from high school. He wasn't a player that was wowing in terms of athletic prowess, in terms of, you know, the people that follow the Nike open and things of that. He wasn't a, a spark score superstar. Um, but he certainly was a superstar in terms of route running, in terms of feel for how to manipulate space and coverage and find gaps in the defense. Paul, I, I think this is, just the beginning of the you know his story and and what he's going to bring to the table so i would tell anybody out there definitely go out there if you can go ahead and land michael mayer he should be a priority for you if you especially if you need help at tight end i think he'll translate great quarterback i'd probably sit tight on cj stroud or any quarterback for that you know for that fact unless they were trevor lawrence and justin fields in which case i was telling you get him day one if you didn't get him Pump your brakes on these guys for a little while. Let's see how it all f- shakes out. And Jackson Sims and Jiva, I would absolutely, if you have a little bit of capital and you can go out there and splurge, he's definitely a prospect that um, I-, I would I would hold on to because I think he's going to continue to develop and I think he's going to show that he's a very reliable, solid route runner. And I think he's going to be effective at the NFL level. Let's see where he goes. He reminds me a little bit, he reminds me a little bit of right now, he gives me that almost Amon Ra St. Brown type of vibe in terms of he's going to play a physical, fundamental game and really never let you down. And I think he's going to find a home in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed when I watched him this week. And the Eric Gilbert thing is interesting because has there been a shift, and maybe I've just missed it, has there been a shift that people are taking him off of their tight end rankings and moving well, him to wide yeah. receiver? Because I know that's what George is calling him. But like, has there been a shift in in the in the fantasy community and the sites 
that he's lost his tight end designation? Should he be solely on the wide receiver board? Or do you think right now that's too early to know if it, how that's going to play out? And for now, he's still got that tight end designation. Yeah, I mean, I think people are just sitting tight right now and trying to feel it out. Because he's such a superstar in terms of we know what he can do, we've seen it. I think people are just going to kind of bide their time and see how this all shakes down. I, I can tell you he's not a player that people, in my opinion, are actively still going after. I think they're trying to snag him if they have the room. Um, but you, you really can't, you really aren't seeing people go actively after him like they were previously. You know, when I saw everything go down, I, I even stayed away from him. I'm glad I missed that boat, so to speak. And that's not a shot in him, but. I, I wish I could have stayed away from him. <laughs> well, I mean, if he if he loses that tight end designation, it changes the narrative, right? Because, you know, Kyle Pitts, listen, I think Kyle Pitts would be a great wide receiver prospect as is, but his his high level of thought in terms of the fantasy community was he could be the next X factor at the tight end position, like a Travis Kelsey, a George Kittle, or as you mentioned before, Darren Waller, like if he loses that ability, well, then he just kind of gets thrown into the mix of all these other elite wide receivers that are just dominating in the NFL. And every year we just have a group of them coming out in the, in, in terms of from the college game. So if Gilbert gets starts getting grouped with those, I think that changes the narrative a lot. So that's something we'll keep an eye for now. I still have him in my tight end rankings uh, in terms of the Debbie rankings over in the, over in the rankings notebook, but we, We'll, we'll keep our pulse on that and, and see if at some point we need to adjust that and put them over in the wide receiver ranks. So let's turn over to the first NFL rookie report of the season. And we're going to touch on a couple big things. I'll share my thoughts real quick, Kidder, on, on, on certain things, but then uh, we'll really hone in on a couple things. At the quarterback position, I don't think there was a lot to really discuss. Trey Lance and Justin Fields got on the field, uh, field sparingly. I think it's going to be a little bit, of time before Trey Lance takes over. Jeff and I have had many conversations with that. You know, Jeff's on the the longer end of the spectrum that, than I am, but we'll see. I, I think right now maybe him playing a little bit might be how they kind of just wait it out for a little bit longer, especially if San Francisco continues to win. Fields, I, I don't know why he's not playing. I don't know why he's not playing right now. Uh, as a Giants fan who owned the Bears pick, I will gladly let Andy Dalton play for as long as possible so the Bears keep getting losses. But I also want to see Justin Fields on the football field. He's a special player, uh, and it's more fun. And I know they don't want to throw him to the Wolves because their O-line is terrible, but Justin Fields can kind of make up for that a little bit. Uh, and he might struggle there regardless, you know, uh, so we're, we're waiting on them. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville just looked like a train wreck and, and got destroyed by Houston, who we all thought was the worst team in the NFL. He picked up some garbage time stats, had some nice throws, nothing to really move the needle on different than what we thought of Trevor Lawrence after week one, Zach Wilson, same thing. Jets are still a very bad football team. And he had, you know, a really bad first half. He settled down in the second half, made some nice plays, some things that we expect to see. But there's going to be a, a, a big, steep learning curve for Zach Wilson, right? Coming from, you know, where he played in college and playing on a bad team. And now they lost Mekhi Becton, one of the premier young offensive tackles in football for six to eight weeks, I think it was. So Zach Wilson is definitely going to be in for a lot of ups and downs this year for sure. And then Mac Jones was kind of asked just to be the steady game manager type. And that's how New England wants to play it. And he was very, you know, 29 of 39, very easy keel. So I don't think there was anything at the quarterback position that really needed to be discussed. Like it was kind of ho-hum. 
what we expect, except maybe for Jacksonville getting blown out or whatever. But I don't think anything moved the needle yet that really changes our thoughts in terms of fantasy or, you know, even what we thought of them as a player. But man, at the running back position, there's something to talk about because about an hour and a half before the game, we find out that Trey Sermon is inactive. So we just think it's mostly going to be the Raheem Mostert show. And then Raheem Mostert does what Raheem Mostert does, and he gets injured after two plays. And then Elijah Mitchell, sixth-round pick rookie, comes on and proceeds to go for 19 carries and 104 yards and look really good in the process. So, Jeff, before I even talk about the rest of the running backs, let's get right into this. You know, I know you follow the 49ers closely. Did the Sermon news come out of left field for you? as well as it did for, I think, most of the country in terms of him being inactive and not being the number two? And then what are we now to make moving forward here? Most of it's going to be out a while. Mitchell coming off a good game. Hasty got involved yesterday. Is Sermon buried on this depth chart now? How are you making out? And is Mitchell now somebody that we extremely need to be paying close attention to in the fantasy community, not just for redraft, but even for Dynasty? That's a lot to unpack, but <laughs> I, I think the hardest part is, um, you know, it's behind closed doors in San Francisco, um, so much so that pretty much every single one of the beat writers, you know, this was a this was a surprise to everybody. Um, so you're talking about people who, you know, walk the halls. Um, what I gather is that. Mitchell and Hasty were playing practicing better because if you look at the preseason, I still think Sermon was the better running back of, of all of those guys. Um, and this is sort of the same thing. We might get to it a little bit later with Brandon. I, you like, you know, you, you have to bring it on the practice field the week, the week before your game, or, or you're, you're probably not going to see the field. Um, I did hear a, a little thing about, you know, special teams, you know, so if Sermon wasn't going to contribute on special teams and he wasn't playing better than those other guys, then he wasn't going to see the field with Mostert out, you know, maybe that he's going to be active now. He might get a shot. Um, when Raheem Mostert went down, you know, I saw hasty come in a little bit on third downs, a little bit in the red zone, but it was pretty much, even when he was in, it was usually a play somewhat to a different playmaker. You know, Elijah Mitchell was in the game. And he pretty much took over the opportunities from when it came, when the ball was off to the running backs. Um, his stat line will suggest that, you know, he's the next, you know, breakout James Robinson, UDFA. I, I'd kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Um, not saying that he can't, but uh, you, you were watching him run through gigantic holes in the, the offensive line. Um which is that's what San Francisco does. And, and that's why any running back in the San Francisco system is so heavily desired. Um, and uh, Elijah Mitchell has the skill set to take advantage of that. He's a sub four or five guy with pretty good burst. Um, he was a pretty, you know, it, I, I had a little live tweet thread going, so you could go find, find that and, you know, I have all my impressions impressions of the game there, including um, once Mostert went down pretty strong 
observations around Elijah Mitchell and Jamichael Hasty. I still think outside of the speed and burst, Mitchell is still a pretty average NFL running back. He's not creating in traffic with, you know, when it, and when everything gets tight around the line of scrimmage, you know, he's not popping through the other side. We saw, you know, we, you, you see a guy like David Montgomery get skinny, get through the hole and get four extra yards. Um, you know, Elijah, Elijah Mitchell will kind of run into the back and, and sort of get stuck there. Um, and that's, I think that's Trey Sermon can, can actually give you a little bit more than, than what Elijah Mitchell is giving you, you know, in those situations. I think that offense works well or best at least when you have a dynamic playmaker able to take advantage of these enormous holes, you know, the misdirection um, run scheme. And, and so I don't think Elijah Mitchell is going to go away. Um, so he's going to be a factor. I just don't think he's going to be the only factor. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing Trey Sermon. It, well, if you don't start seeing Trey Sermon really quickly, I'll, I'll press a panic button, but I also think it could take, a, it could take a little bit of time. I mean, he's a rookie. It could take a few weeks. Um, but I think he's going to work his way into, into there and he's, he's going to, he's going to start factoring in. I, I, I don't think Elijah Mitchell is going to be somebody that you're going to put an entire workload on. Yeah. I mean, I kind of echo a lot of what you said that I do think it's going to be a week to week thing. And with the time frame that most of it's going to be out, I think we're going to see Sermon get his opportunity to be thrown into the mix where I think the, the, the big change I think right now is if we had this conversation a week ago and we said most of it's going to get injured, I, I think we always knew that Shannon's going to run multiple running backs. I think anybody who's been following football, following fantasy knows that. But a week ago, if we, if we were to know that most of was about to get hurt, I think the, the narrative would have been, okay, Sermon's going to be the clear guy, right? At least 60, 65% of a workload. And now I think it's a little bit more, who knows, right? A little bit to be determined. You know, it could be a week-to-week thing. It could be a game plan-to-game plan thing. And, and that's, that's where I think the adjustment has been, you know, in the last, you know, uh, 48 hours or so. Matt, let me bring this over to you. A couple of the running backs, uh, and you don't have to talk about all of them, but there's one at the bottom here I know you might want to share some thoughts on because I know he's a guy that's been intriguing you. Javante Williams shared the workload with Melvin Gordon. You know, nothing too alarming there. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson had an early fumble and missed a, a blitz pickup, so he might be buried a little bit there in New England right now. Michael Carter, uh, who a lot of people were really high on during Dynasty rookie drafts, you know, and were taking over first round or early second round wide receivers and still at the time I thought it was crazy, still crazy, you know, four carries, six yards, only one catch. So he's got some working to do. And I don't think any running back is going to be productive there, but the guy, Matt, I really want to hear your thoughts on is Kenneth Gainwell, right? A guy that a lot of people liked in the pre-draft process. He falls to round five, which Seem to make not a lot of sense based on what we were talking about before, right? <laughs> NFL teams want those guys who can play in space. You know, it's why we like a guy, Jerry Neely, and think a team will look at him. Kent Gainwell had that skill set. It's not like Memphis hasn't been producing guys that have been of intrigue at the NFL level. And Gainwell looks to now have supplanted Boston Scott and is already the number two guy and being involved and not just being involved like 
a little bit. Nine carries, 37 yards, you know, two catches, six yards. We know he can catch the football. So any thoughts on Gainwell? If you want to talk about Carter or Stevenson, you can as well. But Gainwell is really the guy that I think we already have to kind of readjust and recalibrate maybe how quickly – he can emerge into a fantasy factor. I thought he had a Naheem Hines plus better rushing ability skill set, but I thought maybe it was going to be a little bit of a slow development to get there. And now it looks like we may have to recalibrate things. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, honestly, Paul, I think he's trash. I'd give you a third <laughs> round pick for him. I've been trying to get him from Paul for a while now. So um, I, I've been haunting Paul to get Kenneth Gainwell. I was like, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'll throw you a third round pick. You know, I think it's a good pick. Could use that. You know, who knows? Boston Scott, maybe. So anyway, we've seen how that's all shaken out. So now it's going to cost me an arm and a leg if I ever wanted him. Um, but the point being is, is yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, I, I think Kenneth Gainwell. I think the entire Philadelphia offense is is really is really a committee situation. Even though Miles Sanders gets the lion's share of the carries, I still believe that they look. They look at that position as a as as what we're kind of seeing tonight in in Baltimore, the next man up scenario. I I, I really do think that they believe that Kenneth Gainwell is a guy who can take over for Sanders should something occur. And I think to your point, you have to recalibrate. He's the most interesting player that might be on the waiver wire right now. Um, Boston Scott, if you remember last year, you know he was basically splashing his way to ten. 10 or 12 points each week on minimal work. And now all of that work is basically Gainwell's. And I think that you're also talking about Gainwell adding another layer of ability and skill that, you know, Scott, Scott's a good player. I think, I don't think Scott's a bad player, but I do think that Gainwell brings a little bit more to the table. And I, and I think that that's exciting. And I think if I were in a dynasty league, um, if there were players chasing, you know, players out there that could be there. For example, maybe you're in a league where, I don't know, maybe you're in a league and you have the second waiver and there there are players out there that are that are you're chasing. I, I think he should be the first waiver wire, in my in my opinion, for a dynasty league right now. If you're in a 10, 12 team league and he's gone, um that's you know, I obviously I feel bad for you. You could have drafted him, but if he's available for for whatever reason. He should be an absolute immediate add. And you know what, Paul? Redraft should add him too. If you're in a league where you need a little bit of bench kind of flex play home run spot, he's a home run spot for me because if Sanders should get injured, that guy is going to eat, absolutely eat. He's going to chomp. He's going to have tons and tons of points. So I, I don't think there's any league right now, any situation where you're not picking him up. So, Matt, in a, in a dynasty league, just not much of an explanation needed. In a dynasty league, Elijah Mitchell or Kenny Gainwell are both available. Who would be your pickup? Oh, Kenny Gainwell. Sorry. Jeff, Jeff just... what about you? You kind of talked about that slowed the, slowed the roll a little <laughs> bit with Elijah Mitchell. Would it be Gainwell for you, too, if you're digging more long-term, a guy who may, might be able to have more sustained viability long-term? If you're thinking long-term, yeah, I, I would. Um Though, when I, the way I play Dynasty, even just I, when it comes down to the, the guys down on this bottom end of the roster, um, the non-lineup staples, I kind of like being able to get a guy that's 
Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell could give you that Boston Scott last year, 10, 12 points. I, I think you're already going to get that out of Elijah Mitchell, even if Trey Sermon comes in and plays. So it's, it's sort of a, I know what I'm going to get. And I think you could probably, yeah, I, I, I don't really fault going either way. I would, pro- the way I play, I'd probably just go with Elijah Mitchell. But if I wanted to, if I, if you were asking me who I think would be, have more value to your team next year, I think it could be Kenny Gainwell. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what we say over and over here when we've been discussing this, right? Context of your team matters. Yeah. I think if, you, if you're a, a team Absolutely. right now in contending mode and you've lost one of these running backs, you know, from J.K. Dobbins or, or Gus Edwards after the fact, or, you know, you had Raheem Mostert, I think you want Elijah Mitchell. And if you are a average team or a bottom feeder and you're thinking, you know, I'm a year or two away, well, maybe Ken Gain was on that trajectory to be at worst Austin. I mean, at worst Naheem Hines. And who's to say he can't be an Austin Eckler? I don't think that's his ceiling, but it's not inconceivable, right? That he starts out with a Naheem Hines like role and let's see where it goes down the line. You know, so I, I, I'm kind of right there with you. So I want to. I want to wrap this up and get to the last segment, but I'm going to rattle off a couple of things from the wide receivers or pass catchers. Cause I'll include uh, Kyle Pitts in there too. And one guy I want to thought from each of you about one guy that I mentioned here. So obviously the elite wide receivers, we talked about them all last year. They all went top 10 week one. They all lived up to the billing. Jamar chase. Five catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Devonta Smith, 671 and one. Jalen Waddell, 461 and one. I think all three of them could be their team's best wide receiver this year. All of them, right out of the gates, could be their team's best wide receiver this year. Uh, Rondell Moore, uh, the second round wide receiver from Arizona, he had four catches for 64 yards. I think it's going to be a little bit of an inconsistent ride for him because Christian Kirk looked really good yesterday. They're still going to get A.J. Green on the field, and we obviously know a lot gets filtered uh, through DeAndre Hopkins, but I think it's the Kirk one. How much Kirk plays is going to be an indirect relationship with Rondell Moore. So he's going to have big moments, and I, I think the time is, will come for him to be a big-time fantasy factor, but it's going to be a little bit inconsistent. Terrace Marshall, obviously great preseason, three catches, 26 yards. Uh, it was a little bit of a slow-paced game there against the, the the Jets. And also, if McCaffrey's going to catch eight to ten passes a game and DJ Moore's going to get his, it doesn't leave a lot on the bone for Terrace Marshall right now or Robbie Anderson, to be frankly honest with you. Uh, and then the New York guys – uh, Elijah Moore with with no Jamison Crowder or Keelan Cole. A lot of people really thought Elijah Moore was going to get an opportunity this week. Couldn't get it going. Played a lot of snaps. Uh, he only had one catch for negative three yards. And then the other New York team, Kadarius Tony, didn't know if he was going to play for the weeks leading up. He ends up playing, but he's only he's only even on the field for five snaps. So it's impossible to judge too much from him, except for the fact that. I'm not sure the Giants offense and Jason Garrett. I know everyone had these concerns, so they're not new and they were never new, but they really were enlightened right off the bat that they may not be able to know how to use a guy like this. I I don't think it should have mattered too much in your dynasty rookie drafts when you're talking about the second round and and who he was going in in terms of the range because I I don't think Jason Garrett will be there for the long haul, but it wasn't a promising start in terms of them finding ways to maximize the skill set. And then Kyle Pitts, it was such a bad game for Atlanta. I don't want to put too much on it, but 
they got to find a way to feed him the ball more than, than they did yesterday. They invested in him. They passed on restarting and rebuilding the franchise with a quarterback. They could have went Justin Fields. They brought him in. I kept saying the Atlanta decision last year was very much like the Giants decision five years, uh, four years ago with Saquon Barkley, right? They took the premier talented player, but they, they pushed back the rebuild. Well, he's got to live up and he's got to be great. And he's got to be great really fast for it not to look really bad for them. And even if he, even if he is great, it still might look bad, right? As we're talking about the Giants with Saquon Barkley. So Matt, I'll come to you first. One 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 thought from the past catchers that you want to elaborate on. I, I think the biggest thought that I leave with this week was the rookies are as good as advertised. I think it gives me confidence moving forward every year drafting wide receiver rookies. And I think that's the big takeaway for me. We've now seen it three years in a row and counting. It seems like the top of the draft that is wide receivers, it's chalk. It's getting the same type of play on the field I think you know offensive coordinators and head coaches are seeing the you know the overlap in college offenses and the types of offenses that they're calling these players are coming in ready to go um, so for me it's more of a global perspective and not a singular perspective about one player I think that we have to be confident about maybe adjusting the narrative of dynasty rookie drafts Devi drafts where we should be hoarding or consider hoarding uh, really top flight wide receiver talent because it seems like these guys that are at the top of the draft that are getting taken with premium picks are getting premium playing time early. Obviously, Kadarius Tony withstanding. I, I don't even want to go there. Um, obviously, Kadarius Tony withstanding, but for most part, these guys are getting those looks and they've produced. So I, I, I'm really excited for what I saw. Um, I can tell you in the Scott Fishbowl, I ended up taking very late Waddle and um, Waddle and Smith. I didn't get Chase, but I got Smith and Waddle late in that draft to go with a lot of guys. So, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping Scott Fish, if you're listening to this, I'm hoping it pans out for me. But I don't know, I don't know if it's gonna. But anyway, yeah, I, I think it says a lot about the receivers coming into the league, and I think we should be looking to draft them early and often. And if yeah. you're, but you know, and last thing, if you're going to go and get a guy, um, you know, I, I think there's room to still maybe get a guy. I think you play off the Terrence Marshall disaster and go and see if you can swipe him away from somebody. I, I'm still buying him. I, I'm not fretting none. Go get, go get him. Go get him. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think, I think people will probably stick to their guns on that based on how good he looked. Uh, Jeff, any either overarching thought like Matt's was or anything about one particular player about the, about the receivers from this week? Well, I love what Matt said because it kind of convinced me. I think last week I said, I just preached patience, right? I said, you know, 60 catches, 800 yards and a handful of touchdowns is a great season to, you know, to hit expectations. And these guys are already looking like they're, they could pretty easily hit that. And, you know, I think it goes back to what you guys said in the start of the podcast about good coaching um, and uh, sort of co-developing game plans, um, co-developing an offense, uh, working around the talent that you've got, especially on a premium investment. So um, yeah, I might have to, you know, really adjust those expectations, but, but that, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, Elijah Moore and mostly because there was one thing that I had seen 
with with the way that New York built their team. And primarily this was around, you know, what Zach Wilson does best and what he isn't doing well, what he isn't doing, not necessarily isn't doing well, he just isn't doing. And this goes all the way back to his time at BYU. And that's not throwing over the middle of the field. It's not throwing into the windows over linebackers. He throws, he's a very sideline to sideline thrower. Highlights I saw from that game, again, same sort of thing. It matches so well with Corey Davis's skill set as a boundary player. And, and it's not what I really expected to see Elijah Moore do well right off the bat. And so to me, you see two disparate skill sets. And it doesn't have anything to say that these guys are, are not talented. It just means that the, the overlap right now is not there to take advantage of what Elijah Moore is doing well. And that's difficult. So I think for Elijah Moore to hit, Zach Wilson will have to develop his game uh, beyond what he does now. And I think, you know, you mentioned nothing to write home about very rookie level performances from all the quarterbacks this week. There's going to be some growing pains. You might have to wait until I know Matt's like, you know, let's get these guys. These guys are great talent. They, they go right away. But I think in this kind of, in this particular situation, until Zach Wilson's able to, develop that aspect of his game. And like we, we talked about his jump from BYU to the NFL. That's just one of those ones where he's going to have to make a leap in my mind or, or Elijah Mitchell is, or sorry, Elijah Mitchell. I got that on my mind. Elijah Moore is going to have to um, become a premier outside the numbers threat. Yeah. And, and what's so fascinating about that is I feel like we've rarely had conversations where a young quarterback is better throwing on the outside than in the middle of the field, right? I mean, you know, every th- the biggest thing about Lamar Jackson, and to me, is still an issue, is he's really good in between the hash marks, and that was where he was good in college football, and he struggled throwing outside the numbers. So, it's, But you're right, and I watched a lot of that game yesterday, and it, it always looks like Wilson is – is looking to the outsides. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, back from his college film, that was kind of the same way too. So unless, like you said, more kind of goes the route, I'm not saying he's got to put up these type of numbers, but unless more goes the route of Justin Jefferson, who we all pigeonholed to be just a slot guy last year. And then he obviously proved everybody wrong that he can play outside. Unless Elijah Moore shows that even at his size, he's capable of being a player that can consistently win on the outside the expectations and they rose fast may have to be brought way back in for a really poor Jets team who we already know things are going to funnel through Corey Davis. It sure seems like, and maybe the Mackay Becton injury is going to force them to change a little bit and they might have even less time. And maybe that does then suit a slot guy to be more involved, but Zach Wilson's going to have to show development and growth that he can do that before that. So I, I, I don't think the, immediate stardom that some people were maybe putting on Elijah Moore is going to be there just yet. So we're, we're we went real late today, guys. So I'm going to take it over to the last segment, which is the, the fantasy dynasty spin, the new segment here uh, at Saturday, Sunday during the in season shows. We talked about the, the Trey Sermon situation a lot already. So I'm going to skip that two situations I think need to be discussed to round out the night tonight. And you mentioned it before, Jeff, the Brandon Ayuk situation. I mean, this is a guy that had a monster rookie season 
outperformed just about everyone's expectations, who kind of pigeonholed him as only a guy who can be a, a run-after-the-catch type guy, a yak guy, and then showed the ability to be an outside you know, wide receiver running the full route tree in year one, in addition to the other stuff that he was good at. And he's demoted to the fourth wide receiver playing behind like Muhammad Sanu and Trent Shurfield. So I think that situation, how do we, do we just not even think about doing anything in terms of dynasty right now? And, and it, you know, it's just a wait and see approach. I mean, it's weird though, because right. I know Brandon Ayuk was much better than Dante Pettis, but it's impossible not to have some Dante Pettis vibes who had moments his rookie year and then was a fantasy darling in that second offseason with people projecting a breakout second year and then he never played. Now, Brandon Ayuk had a way, way better rookie season than Dante Pettis, but I think it's just something, same team, you know, I think it's something to at least acknowledge. And then the Zach Moss situation. I've never been a big Moss guy. There was a lot of people in the pre-draft process that really liked Zach Moss. I was never one of them. Uh, when he drafted the Buffalo, I thought he was just as good, if not better, than Devin Singletary. I, I kept kind of hedging my bets and putting them side by side. And when we did the overall dynasty rankings, because I didn't know what to do with those guys. Uh, inactive, a healthy scratch on week one. I don't know if there's more behind the scenes there that we don't know about, but are these things that we need to quickly change expectations in dynasty? Uh, Jeff, let me go to you because again, you're kind of our guy who really, you know, hones in on San Francisco. You're our West coast correspondent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is the Brandon Ayuk thing something that we just kind of don't even think of? Like, should we, obviously my recommendation, I want to see if you agree is I'm not even contemplating selling, but I would a hundred percent reach out to the guy who owns them and see if he goes into panic mode and could I buy him for like a second round rookie pick or something when he should be worth the first, you know, maybe even a first plus. Yeah. I'll take, are you Matt? Maybe you could take Zach Moss and then there's going to be one name it before we end that I want to highlight for people based on what I saw over the weekend. But uh, for Ayuk, I think you're right. Um, one, I'll, I'll be quick too. I'm just going to, I'll chalk it up to the hamstring, being cautious, coming off an injury. A lot of times those players who dealt with that during the preseason uh, tend to come back a little bit slower. So a little bit of caution there. He missed some practice time. Those other guys practiced well enough to deserve to get on the field and they made their, they made plays. So there was a reason they were on the field. Sherfield had the touchdown. Sanu had a couple clutch first downs. You're going to see Ayuk work his way back into the lineup. Go get him. It's fine. I wouldn't worry about it. I already talked about, uh, I already asked, made that question about Dante Pettis to Matt Harmon. You know, Pettis was a darling his rookie year. And I said, Hey, how did his reception perception line up? And uh, he, he assured me that Pettis's was a pretty average and Ayuk is just a standout reception perception. You know, this guy is, it's just, his time on the practice field is why he wasn't able to, to work his way back up into the game plan. And he will there. And as soon as Trey Lance hits the field, you know, that alpha wide receiver, that outside the numbers threat is going to be utilized a lot more in that offense. So um, 
just stock up for the down the line. Go ahead and, you know, I wouldn't sell. I would go look to buy. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I, w- I would even do it in redraft leagues too, to be honest with you. I, I don't see a scenario where within the next few weeks, he doesn't reemerge as one of their primary guys. But I will say, I do think yesterday was a glimpse in as good as Brandon Ayuk was, and he was great last year, and I loved him, and I wanted to get him anywhere. I do think people overreacted to kind of pretending like Debo Samuel wasn't wasn't a thing, and he was an early second-round pick for, by a coach who loved his game, thought his skill set fitted in perfectly of what he wanted, and it's one of those things that I think yesterday – you know, Debo's game kind of just let people realize, don't forget about him. He's a very young player too on a team that knows how to get their playmakers, the ball in space, what we were talking about before. And there's not many receivers who are better after the catch than Debo Samuel in all of football, you know? So, you know, so he's a guy that I think people may have to to talk about recalibrating things. We may have to recalibrate where Debo Samuel is in rankings because people might have been too quick to move him down at the expense of moving Brandon Ayuk really high. So I think that's something that we got to follow uh, closely. Was that the name that you were going to highlight, Jeff? Did I just steal it from you? Okay. Uh, Matt, let me go over to you. Any, any quick thoughts on the Zach Moss situation? Because if I remember correctly, you were – somewhat a fan of his game, you know, that Buffalo offense, obviously with Josh Allen, we, you know, we've talked about him a lot on Twitter. Uh, what are we to make of the fact that, you know, you would think that he would at least compliment Singletary well for him to not be active for Matt Breida to be the second running back. Do we think there's more than meets the eye? Do we think it's like a change in the guard and he's being phased out in his second year? You know, what, what are we to make of the Zach Moss situation? I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I mean, to be very frank with you, I, I do feel that this could be an evolution in the overall offense of the Buffalo Bills. Now, not to say that not to say that there's anything about the, the first game of the season that led us to believe that they're on the verge of fireworks, um, although they did have a, a pretty tough matchup. But I do think there could be a little bit maybe of an evolution here in terms of the way they're going to be attacking the field and maybe what we can expect from Josh Allen. Um I don't think Zach Moss is necessarily going by the way of the Dodo. I still think he is what he is out of college, which was, I think he literally gives the Buffalo bills, you know, an immediate stand in and filler for, you know, Devin Singletary. I I think if Devin Singletary were to go down um, or have any issues, I think Zach Moss immediately fills that role. And I think the, the engine keeps trugging along. I think Matt Breed is an interesting player that they put in. That says something to me about, maybe what they're thinking about doing in terms of offensive looks and maybe, you know, uh, what they're trying to do tactically as they move forward with the season. Maybe there's another gear that Josh Allen is, is still kind of yet to develop. And I'm not sure what that gear could be, um, but they, it, it could be that they're looking to begin to do a little bit more. And, and, and I'm, I'm a little bit more of a wait and see on Zach Moss. He's not somebody I'm going to go and acquire. Um, I may, I may, I may go to an owner and see if I can throw, you know, a, a very late pick at them just to see, you know, if I could pry them away for for nothing. And if case they're in panic mode, especially if this is their, you know, third or fourth running back on their chart, um, maybe I could see if I can give them a little bit of something to to get them away. But I, I think Zach Moss, him being a, a healthy scratch, I don't think it's as much phasing out as it is maybe a little tinkering 
of the Buffalo offense. And I'd like to see how this continues to play out. If he's not active the second game, Paul, or by, by the third game, if he's not active, then clearly there's things beyond our knowledge that must be going on because he was solid since he came in. Wasn't he didn't, wasn't fireworks, but I mean, you can't tell me that they weren't effective with him in a rotation, you know, with Singletary. I mean, they were, they were effective, you know? So I think there could be either a more than meets the eye or B some tinkering. Yeah. And I mean, and let's be honest, he fits what they would want, right? Yes. Josh Allen is going to be the goal line runner, so to speak. But if you're going to give any handoffs inside the 10 yard line, Zach Moss profiles way better than Devin Singletary or Matt Breida as a guy who should be seeing the workload inside the 20. So it, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you're right. Unlike Brandon Ayuk, who I'd aggressively go by anywhere in dynasty, I would not be shooting out any type of aggressive offers for Zach Moss. Like you said, if you can get him for dirt cheap, sure. I take him on my team. Uh, I probably wouldn't sell him either because I don't I don't think anyone's going to give me a pick that I would deem worthy of it. I'd want to kind of wait it out and, and see if he could at least end up being serviceable. Uh, but but it's something definitely to monitor closely. Jeff, before we wrap it up, you, there was one guy you said you wanted to bring up here in the Dynasty Fantasy Spin, and who is that? Baker Mayfield. Uh, so I spent my Sunday watching single games, just flow, all the players, all the personnel, and Baker – looks like he took a leap. I mean, we we saw some of these signs last year, but consistently throughout the entire game, maybe the last pass, which, you know, looks like wasn't even a poor decision. He was trying to throw the ball away, but, you know, just got tripped up mid mid throw and it just happened to find a defender. So giving him the credit of the benefit of the doubt that he was throwing that ball away as well and not taking the sack, amazing ball placement, amazing accuracy down the field, outside the numbers, a keen awareness on where to attack. It's, you know, KC's not a vanilla defense. They throw you different looks. He didn't have OBJ. So just really smart decision-making. He really looked like he was a quarterback ready to enter one of the elite tiers. So still run first offense, you know, obviously a lot of help with Chubb, pretty good offensive line, but, uh, but he just watch him play and, and you'll just see, um, you'll see a level of bake. You'll see really good Baker. We've seen this for a game or two at a time. Um, I really hope this is what he is this season. Yeah. And if OBJ can come back and be even 80% of what OBJ could once upon a time was, and he could, and then Baker can continue to show this development and OBJ could be in the fabric of that offense it really could take the Browns offense to another level where I think it is to be determined is does the persona of OBJ start to then change how Baker plays and it shouldn't, right? This is Baker's team. Now OBJ is not the mega star. He was a few years ago when he came here and, and Baker's Baker should treat him as he's just a part of this team and Baker's got to take the reins. And if OBJ starts pulling, pulling antics on the sideline, the Baker's just got to shut him up and put him in his place. But Baker can't be intimidated to feel like he's got to force feed OBJ to keep him happy because we've seen Baker be better last year when OBJ went out. And I'm never going to be one of those guys that believes you take away a, a really good player and, and a guy's going to be better. I, I find that very hard to believe that a guy of OBJ's talents can't make your offense better but I do think the coaching, the play calling, and then the quarterback himself 
can't try to force feed the issue at him just to keep him happy. He's it's got to be within the fabric of the offense, and that offense is built around the ground game. But at the same time, if the Baker is now evolving, and then they can bring OBJ back and not feel like they just got to force feed him the ball, it could really take that offense to another level. I'm glad you brought him up because I obviously I had a lot of eyes uh, on that Kansas City game as well. And, you know, Baker did look like, you know, he was playing really great football. And for a while it looked like, you know, until Mahomes did his Mahomes things with Kelsey and Hill, it looked like Cleveland, you know, was really, you know, on the trajectory to pull that upset off. And and listen, I think Cleveland is going to be a really good team this year. And I think they have it all set up for for sure. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up Baker there. So guys, there it is. All four segments in the books. We went a little long. First time with the three of us. You know, obviously, you know, a lot to talk about and bouncing around. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed the four segments tonight. Matt, any final parting shots here uh, as we wrap it up? Do do the Raiders know that Brian Edwards plays for them? (laughs) And does Baker Mayfield know that Donovan Mitchell exists? Excuse me, not Donovan Mitchell, that Donovan People Jones exists? Because let me tell you something. I just get flashbacks to like Dumb and Dumber where it was that moment where he's like, what's that all of that one in a million talk? You know, like what is all the hype, all the hype for these guys over the preseason players that showed well in college. And now they go like preseason darlings to absolute ghosts. <laughs> I I don't I just I don't know what to say. And, and I you know what? And save me the ideas that it's all like a smokescreen to divert a bit. get out of here no way either people got to really tell the truth about what's going on or don't say anything about the player at all just don't say anything just don't say anything i don't know i'm frustrated paul i'm leaving it on an angry tip but this was a blast <laughs> Very well angry. i'll assure you matt donovan people joan he's going to be back he's going to be there he looked he looked too good to not be in their future plans anthony schwartz as dynamic as he was uh i made a joke that he w- had Three targets and four catches because he double caught all his balls. I, well, he, I'm saving my fab budget, man. I'm not doing anything with Anthony Schwartz. That's not a guy. I didn't even like him that much in college. No offense. He's an NFL player, but that was not a guy I was targeting. Yeah, I mean, listen, he got drafted for speed. And, you know, though, man, you're, and it was good to see him get out there because he's a guy that really wasn't being talked about at all since he was drafted in the top 100 or whatever it is. Uh, you know, he has that dynamic there, but he's a unrefined rat runner with inconsistent hands, you know, so I do think he's going to be more of that wide receiver four used in a variety of ways. I think people's Jones will get an opportunity there. I just don't know what to make. I just don't know for, if we're talking fantasy for a second here to close out, I just don't know if there's room for a third wide receiver there behind Odell behind Jarvis Landry. We know the Browns like to use the tight ends. They have Kareem Hunt, they you know who catches passes, and we know they're going to run a lot. It's without a without a long term injury to OBJ, I, I just don't see a path where another guy could have any type of consistent viability there uh, in Cleveland. As much as I do believe in the talent, we're not talking about four passes were thrown his way. You have one target, <laughs> one target. Donovan Peoples Jones, twenty twenty two. It's like yeah. a campaign yeah. campaign banner. He'll, he'll Hold be there. strong. <laughs> uh, Jeff, any final thoughts just to round it out? Uh, no, it's, there's so many names that I have written down. Um, and obviously we're well over time. So it's just going to be a, a fun testament to kind of go into these deep dives on a couple names week in and week out and hopefully get a good broad 
view of the season as it goes. Absolutely. So, guys, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, we're enjoying the, the fantasy aspect of it or the prospect aspect of it, please get over to the website, SS Football. Quickest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all three premium notebooks. You immediately get the 2022 scouting notebook. You get the rankings notebook. It has all our rankings, our draft eligible, our Debbie rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, and our overall dynasty rankings by Jeff and I and his detailed ones. I know I already have things this week that I'm planning on going in and making updates before next week of college football season to my dynasty rookie rankings, some of my overall dynasty rankings, uh, but definitely my dynasty rookie rankings. Obviously, Elijah Mitchell got to come way back, uh, way up in that, and and some other things going to move around a little bit as well. Those are updated constantly. And then the scouting notebook already has 85 players in it, full detailed scouting reports. More will be added. Those will be updated and edited as well. And then the draft projection notebook comes out in April as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, and our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.